1: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. Also, I do have a couple of updates for you guys. Um, Unfortunately, Jay Inslee rejected Senator Mike Simpson's proposal to remove the Lower Snake River dams. Maria Cantwell made a comment saying that the proposal was not well thought out. um, So they did decide not to do that. So now is a more important time than ever to continue to write our uh, public officials and tell them that we do want them to breach the Lower Snake River dams immediately also as far as breaching extinction news we did just take on a new intern kendra nelson who will be taking over our social media going forward so welcome kendra this week i'm chatting with fred also known as orcaman we talk about captivity as well as his journey becoming orcaman and what all that means this week's whale of the week is kasaka l82 she is the mother of finn which is l116 and she has three siblings Dakota, lapis and jade Uh, Kasatka is Russian for both Darling and Killer Whale, so that's where her name comes from, um, and she was born in 1990. Before we get started with our episode, just a brief message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash breachingextinction and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's easy. Go to audible.com slash breaching extinction. All righty. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. I'm here with Orca Man, whose real name is Fred, but <laughs> we'll call him Orca Man. How's it going?
2: It's going super well. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. I've been listening to Breaching Extinction. I've known about it for a good while, and it's, it's truly an honor.
1: Good. Of course. Happy to have <laughs> you here. So... Give us, you know, tell us about who you are and what is Orca Man. Who is Orca yeah, Man?
2: <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, basically the the way that I think I'm gonna explain it going forward is like I'm just a kid from Boston. So it's like uh it's like Steve Rogers, right? So when I not to say that I'm Captain America, but um I was really into free willy as a kid and orcas in general and so I was doing everything I could growing up to try to learn as much as I could, try to um like get as much information as possible, and then just also enjoying the orcas in entertainment. So that was in the form of Free Willy and that trilogy. And then because I was a child, the way that my parents were able to kind of incorporate me into seeing actual orcas was SeaWorld and Captivity in the start.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that was my initial introduction. And then since then, I've gone to San Juan Island, did a little bit of work at the Whale Museum, um, and then since have moved out to British Columbia just finished up my undergrad here and the orca man is a it's a character pseudo that i've created it's a it's more of a brand than anything else to try to get people excited about orcas because a lot of people are along a big spectrum of oh my god free Willy's awesome i love killer whales mm-hmm. to people who know everything there is to as well and the, the like distance in between it seems a lot further than it is so if I can help to close that gap for people I think that would be my biggest goal
1: yeah so you just like want everybody to know about orcas basically
2: oh I mean, yeah my if I can make people as excited as possible that's the biggest thing if I like and also too like people always like it's hard to get into something properly I know when I first got into orcas like it's taken me a long time to kind of like wrap my head around okay what exists how does it exist what's the history of it what who are the players and things like that yeah so if I can simplify that for other people coming in so that they don't have to spend the years months weeks whatever it is might be to get to the point of knowledge that they would like to be if I can simplify that that would be that'd be the goal.
1: that's pretty cool so why do you think that people should know about orcas
2: that's so I think for the reason that we're sitting down and having this conversation right now, do you know what episode this would be? 71. Because you've had 71 podcast episodes talking about orcas, and every time you come in with a little bit more excitement, and anybody that you have on is really interested and excited about an animal that you don't really see in most species as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I've Every person that I've heard of that has interacted properly with a killer whale, whether that be in the wild or um, like the industrial starts of research, I know like the very early days of research and things like that, there was a lot of turning points for people mm-hmm. where they like, they couldn't explain what they felt when they, were in contact with an orca, or the the feeling that it gives them. And I think that's special and extremely unique to this species in particular.
1: For sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people really identify with orcas or really like them. And I, who was it? Um, I'm trying to think of who it was, but somebody very early on in the podcast said that they're like the gateway to the rest of wildlife and caring about wildlife. hundred percent. So. For sure. yeah. Yeah, I think it's important for people to care about orcas, and you you care about. I mean, not that I don't care about all the orcas, but I specifically care about the southern residents the most. Of course, um, is for you? Is it like every orca you think is important? Well, so course, for, for me, yeah.
2: yeah, that's. I think you like phrased that really well. It's like the orca, orcas as a species, is I think more of my like category in mm-hmm. terms of like what I'm what I'm really interested in and caring about because. The story of killer whales, the species of Orsinus or orca, or orca or Sinus or orca, I'd never know how to say it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the species has so much history and uniqueness to it. And it's something that I could see connecting a lot of weird parts of the world together. Because you have people that are working on them everywhere. And everywhere people are having pseudo the same experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, just to some degree or another, of course. So, the species as a whole, rather than Southern residents in particular, because if you use the species as a whole, it can be a gateway to a lot of different avenues that people can take from wherever they are in the world. One thing Mm -hmm. about the Southern residents that I truly appreciate is they're so localized. I I forget who it was, but somebody's called them, like, the urban population of killer whales, and I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, for Seattle specifically. Um, But to... If somebody in South America is listening, like there's, there's orcas in South America that you can research and get in like into the history of and know the people that are working there and things like that. So opening up the world of orcas, uh, as a whole is more of my, my vision.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, yeah, I mean, you definitely bring up a good point about like, uh, people like they're everywhere like it can Mm -hmm. connect people it's not like a giraffe where like you're only gonna find it in africa sort of thing Um, so yeah no i think that that's super important and like you know i know a lot about the southern residents but like i don't know nearly as much about the northern residents or like you know those south american populations you talk about and it's like you can it's a rabbit hole you go down brian jenkins and i were just talking (laughs) about that how it's a rabbit hole you open a door and then you just like fall in
2: No, 100%. And that's the thing, too, is that when people come into the world of Orca, so to speak, when they're listening to your podcast, when they watch Free Willy, when they get a little bit of information about PNW Protectors or other um, research organizations, conservation organizations that are around, each one of those is an individual rabbit hole. Yeah. And so this is another thing, too. It's like there's a Sri Lankan Orca project, which I imagine somebody would be like someone might be more interested in the Sri Lankan Orca project than Orca Lab. right? Right. For no other reason that they're more interested, but right. the opening to know that that exists—that's yes. a—that's a pretty big jump to try to like. Okay. Oh wait, there's catalogs. Oh wait. Oh, there's multiple kinds of catalogs. People have catalogs everywhere. Oh wait, they're they're the ones that are doing um, catalogs in the Northern Indian Ocean, which is another group. So it's like making those connections is uh, opening up the rabbit holes.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Obviously, the Southern residents and the whales in Washington have a history of captivity, which is also why I have you on here because we haven't really dive, like dove into that topic too much i've briefly brought up Lolita being down at the miami seaquarium mm-hmm. um or tokite is what some people call her of course. um but yeah, so like tell us a little bit about the history of captivity in the united states
2: yeah the so this is, I want to say, like my my research genre within the orca world. I've I've done a lot in terms of trying to do, like gather who's all like who are the players around the world right now. Um, but one of the biggest proper research dives that I've gone down is the history in the Pacific Northwest. So that actually I started learning about it from Jason Colby's book Orca: How he Came to Know and Love the Ocean's Greatest Predator, which I would recommend to anybody listening that wants to learn more about the history itself. A lot of the information that I'm going to give. Uh, I found it either through his book or through the references that he had. Um, but the history in the Pacific Northwest is one of the most interesting to me because the earliest story that I can think of for the Pacific Northwest in particular is like there was this whale named Moby Doll. And she was only named, or he was only named Moby Doll once he was in um, Burrard Inlet. But basically, one of the biggest like initial captures was because Murray Newman, who was the manager, or something to that effect, of the Vancouver Aquarium at the time, and like I said, 1963, he hired a sculptor to sculpt a killer whale for the main exhibit. So when you walk in, there was a sculpture of a killer whale. And at the time, they thought there was thousands. They thought there were, it was it was an numerous amount, and they were all the same um, because no one was researching them at the time because no one needed to. Um, but my favorite particular part about that story is he sent out two guys to basically killer killer whale so that they could go underwater and take pictures and scale it and they shot it with a harpoon in their very last day of like two months after not seeing whales at all and then they were on one of the islands off of vancouver island and people on the island this is just like residents came down with their guns to shoot at the whales hmm. so they have this one whale harpooned there's other whales that are trying to lift it up there's these two guys in a dinghy trying to like kill it so they can go underwater and take the photos and a bunch of people on the beach, just shooting haphazardly at the water. And the guys, one of the guys in the rowboat, he put the boat properly between the island, like the people on the beach and mm-hmm. the whales so that they would stop. Cause he was like, this is, this is weird. This is not how I envisioned killer whales to be. Um, because they were known as such ferocious creatures and they were, Appearing to be such um, help, so helpful and caring with the one that was harpooned. Mm-hmm. So then they took the whale, and this was on closer to Vancouver Island. So if you don't know the geography, it's like it takes a big ferry about four hours. No, no, about two hours to get from Vancouver to
0: mm-hmm.
2: like directly across. Uh, I don't even know what it's called. Uh, so the Strait of Georgia potentially um, to Vancouver Island. They towed the whale with the harpoon in it across the bay for like a day and a half into Barard Inlet here, where they took the harpoon out and put it it was on display for like two months. but it was the first time that in the Pacific Northwest at least I'm pretty sure a whale was named and fully observed for more than the simple breaching that you might see or the simple dorsal fin that will come out of the water once every so often especially to have provided an opportunity for residents that were in Vancouver at least to see a whale that to see a whale fully that they had only heard stories about because the whales hadn't come into the Burrard Inlet or mm-hmm. anywhere close to the Vancouver downtown area anytime before so that was like that's that's one of the biggest initial stories that I, I see as a big changing point in terms of how people started to think about orcas, mm-hmm. And then Washington, well, Washington ends up into a whole different one. That's where the captivity aspect actually begins.
1: Wow. So the, did the family follow it the entire way?
2: It didn't No. So the family, the family only stayed for a specific amount of time and then it, and then it swam off. I'm not sure exactly how much. If you guys were like, this is the book to do for that one, The Killer Whale Who Changed the World by Mark Lear and Young. He wrote the book on Moby Doll, uh, quite literally. But uh, they didn't they didn't follow her all the way over. I think at least once they recorded the way, the whale was by herself or okay. by himself. Because um, there's another whole thing about the whale being named Moby Doll, but actually being a male. But I don't know if they figured that out until later. So that's, that's a whole other thing.
1: Do you know if it was a resident or a transient?
2: I don't. I don't. I should. I think that's probably said in there somewhere. If I had to guess, it would be a resident yeah, because it sounded like guess. it was with a pod that was large enough to uh, to have the numbers to help out continuously with that. Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen as big of transient pods continuously. From what from what I remember reading, it sounded like it was a little bit more. So if I had to guess, I'd say resident.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. Just probably because they're fish eaters. And I don't know if, if people, you know, with the little knowledge that they have would, would go and get them a seal or something, you know?
2: Yeah. Fair. More than fair. More than fair.
1: Who knows? Okay. So this opened kind of the gate to captivity, right? Because people are starting to see that they're not these awful creatures that we thought they were.
2: Yeah. So it's the first like documented point where, people were able to view, and this is another thing too, people were able to view a killer whale in its entirety for the first time in the Northwest history. I know there was Wanda and a couple of it. There was um, Ethelbert, which I think was in Portland or something like that, which is like their own stories, but they were not as necessarily connected as this one. Mm -hmm. So Moby Doll, in terms of captivity in particular, Moby Doll is in Burrard Inlet for about two months. And this dude named Ted Griffin who was the owner of the Seattle Aquarium at the time, or like, yeah, the Seattle Aquarium at the time, um, or Seattle Pacific Aquarium, something to that effect, he came up to, like, see Moby Doll. And mm-hmm. from what I understand, too, like, he he didn't break into the cage, but he was there when he shouldn't be or something like that.
0: Because
2: mm. um, he was in the market for a killer whale. That was one thing that he was really trying to do genuinely. He was trying to capture them, and he just he couldn't do it. Um, and he had this... Yeah, he's, like, the main character, I want to say, of of a lot of, the ca- like, initial captivity stories because when he was going to try to capture it, he just he couldn't figure out how to do it. He didn't have the wherewithal and nobody'd done it before, so he was kind of, like, hacking a bunch of stuff together and it never worked. But then it was, again, in British Columbia, actually, I think north of Vancouver, just north of Vancouver Island in a place called Namu, B.C., mm-hmm. these fishermen, their nets came undone and
0: like trapped in two killer whales. Mm. So they trapped in
2: two killer whales and the fishermen are like, Oh, they were, there was one on display in the Vancouver aquarium. Like we might be able to get money for these. And like, cause they were already captured accidentally. Um, and they were just there. So like, if we can make, if we can make up some of the money from the fishing gear that we lost, why not? Um, and so it was funny because they would call all of the places uh, i think sea land of the pacific was still on in victoria mm-hmm. and the vancouver aquarium and i think there might have been another aquarium in seattle and ted griffin was like one of the first guys there he was like i would love to take this whale uh like to take the whales off your hands um i'm not exactly sure when but there was two whales there was the whale who came to be known as namu and then a younger calf i'm gonna call yeah another juvenile uh the juvenile ended up Getting out of the of the net at one point in time, mm-hmm. um, and Nemu didn't for some reason. I'm not sure if the hole was small, too small or he was making sure that the, the juvenile could get out and um, happen from there. But then it ended up just being this this massive ball, mm-hmm. basically. It's like a twenty-some feet long, just full grown, full grown male killer whale. So Ted Griffin gets up there; he's the first one. And he's like, oh, my God, I'd love to buy this whale. And they're like, he's like, how much? And they said, 9000 He says, sounds good. And, like, he goes to, like, try to get ready to figure out how to prepare. it. And the fishermen look at him like he's crazy. They're like, okay, like, where, where's the money? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> because Ted thought he could do it off of credit. Um, what? So they, they, yeah, That's he was like, he's like, I'll pay you guys back. I probably, like, well, I'll bring the whale down. We'll make a bunch of money, and I'll send it up. And they were sitting down like, absolutely not. <laughs> Go back to Seattle, you dumb, whatever, um, and let it be. So then they called the Vancouver Aquarium and all the other places, and they all basically got on the phone, like, hey, we got this big killer whale, and they're sitting down here, and it's, it's a month trip by boat to get mm-hmm. north. And let alone like nobody's transported a killer whale before, other than one who was harpooned, and you're not going to harpoon an or orca after that to transport it for right. a month. It's just it, it doesn't work. Um, so they all were like, "Yeah, we we have no way to do it at all." And so they called Ted Griffin back a little bit later and gave him like 48 hours to show up with eight thousand dollars cash. I, I think it was around eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And so Ted Griffin didn't have $8,000 same as he did before. So he goes around to all of the like little local shops in Seattle, mm-hmm. basically with a pillowcase saying like, hi, I, I need to go buy a kilogram. <laughs> it's gonna bring business to our, our, our area. It's gonna be really good. I, I like you, I'm gonna pay you back as soon as I have the money X, Y, or Z. And enough people believed in him enough and like took cash out of the registers properly to give him the money. He took the float plane North to Namu, BC. And this is, this is the pinnacle. It's the thing that baffles me about the start of all of this. Mm-hmm. He gets there. He has the $8,000 in cash. He shows up to the fisherman. And he's like, okay, I have the money. And they say, all right. And they're still hesitant. They're like, all right. Like, this guy's got everything, whatever. One of them looks at him. He's like, all right. Like, You're going to arm wrestle me for it. <laughs> like, Literally, the fisherman's sitting down. He's like, yeah, if you want this, Will, you have to beat me at an arm wrestle. I need to know how serious you are. In terms of taking care, and, taking care of this well, and how much you are truly um, are ready for this responsibility, so to speak. Now, the fisherman, no reason to do this, absolutely right. none. So this is this, this is like a crucial, just weird moment in history. And the fisherman, pretty big, pretty strong. Ted Griffin's like the owner of this aquarium in Seattle, and he beats him and gets Namu. So now he's stuck with the idea, like, okay, what do I do now? Um, he builds this makeshift pen. He, like, hires a little bit of a crew, like, gets some people from Namu, BC to help because everybody's coming down and be like, what's going on? And as everybody's looking, he's looking up, like, guys, you can look or you can come help out. So they build the pen, take the month-long trip down to Seattle, and then he gets to be – or he he then becomes the first man to – I'll call it build a relationship with a killer whale, however you want to interpret that. Mm-hmm. He's the first one to jump in the water. He's the first one. This is like the first movie of a killer whale that comes out that uh, is anywhere close to, like, informative. Are you able to see a full killer whale? This is Namu, My Best Friend, which came out the year Namu died, which was uh, a year after he was captured. Um, and then after after Namu was captured, Griffin went on to start namu incorporated which was a whale capturing company in 1965 1966 and proceeded to he, pre, he himself proceeded to capture whales until 1970 i'm pretty sure uh 70 71 and then it was then where he somebody else took over the company and he couldn't he couldn't do it anymore
0: mm-hmm.
2: but that's a little bit of the backstory in terms of like the general general setup he was also the one who captured shamu Mm-hmm. The original Shamu, which was the first whale ever captured, particularly for captivity, um, as this little whale. And then she was sold to SeaWorld. Uh, we all know that story. But the the name also Shamu came from, as far as I'm concerned,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like they, they wanted the rights to the name Namu. And they were like, they take off and said no. So they said, OK, we'll just name her She-Namu, Shamu. Mm-hmm. And thus, the legend was born.
1: Wow. And so, basically, from then on, he went on to go capture whales and then sell them to places that wanted them? Mm -hmm. And do you know what the going rate of a killer whale was?
2: They, at the time, too, because this is the thing, is that once he started capturing killer whales, there were other uh, organizations that got into the business as well, so it wasn't just him. Um, And they were going... it it went up pretty fast so he bought namu for eight thousand dollars i'm pretty sure shamu was bought for somewhere in the tens like ten thousand plus ten thousand twenty thousand dollars um and then very very quickly it was going up to like fifty thousand per whale or something Uh like that and the younger the easier to transport the better um especially because it was like i i'm not gonna call it full service because that's not it's just not right um but you can capture the whale Set it up so that it can be transported, um and then transported effectively. Like that, there's only certain people in the world who knew how to transport a killer whale For alive sure. and well. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a very, very specific job. um But if I had to guess, somewhere around the it ended up somewhere around the fifty, fifty to seventy thousand range.
1: That is ridiculous, and so he, it was just Washington whales that he got correct. Like what he yes. just got in Puget
2: Sound, and that was like the Pen Cove captures. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was all up and down um, Washington, especially. To, I don't know what to call it because there's like the Sailor Sea Puget Sound, but then going all the way south as well, like down to where Tacoma is too, because the Orcas would go all the way down. So it was a lot of Washington whales in particular. Um, and I think he was more around the like Seattle area just because it was more accessible to him. But there was also people that were catching whales. In British Columbia, just north of Vancouver, around like Pender Harbor, and then even going as far north as like places around Telegraph Cove, like not Telegraph Cove specifically, but the the general area around northern Vancouver Island, that was, a, that was also a hotspot for a little bit.
1: So he pretty much started like this idea of like, let's capture killer whales and sell them. And then other people hopped on board and were like, okay, that's a great idea. Let's do well, this.
2: Yeah, it, it was lucrative. Mm. It was you. You could. It was a lot less work for a much bigger payout, especially too for like any fishermen that were around at that time. Like the the money that you could get from it was huge, and then more than that too. Like the demand was becoming very real. Like Namu, yes. when he was at at the Vancouver or at the Seattle Pacific Aquarium, like he was a worldwide. He was at least a U.S. wide phenomenon. Yeah. Like they made a movie. Like oh my god, Namu, my best friend. They right. had Songs in Seattle. There was dances like. It was, it was such a shift in terms of the public's like, oh my God, killer whales are cute. And I want to like see them and people are friends with them. What? Yeah. Um, that it really changed a lot of, a lot of heads about what the relationship to killer, what, what human's relationship to killer whales could be. Mm. And so people were, people were very willing to pay for that, both to go see as well as to purchase a whale.
1: For sure. Wow. So, what do you know about the Penn Cove captures? Is that the same thing as what Ted Griffin did, or is that different?
2: I think, I believe it was um, Ted Griffin in particular. So, it, I believe it was Namu Incorporated. They got knowledge that there was um, a bunch of whales coming by, and they basically set up like any other capture. They were like, all right, people are coming around, and the Penn Cove captures, like, they had captured whales in Penn Cove before, I'm pretty sure, as well. So, like, the, the facilities around it were very, um, they were set up. And I'm pretty sure the Penco capture was the last capture that Ted Griffin was involved in. Because this is the difference, too. It's like the, the whenever I talk about the captures themselves, when I think of the story of Ted Griffin and the the start of all of this, Ted Griffin, if you read his book and um, even some of like the Jason Colby's, when he talks about uh, his relationship with Namu, it, it was all enveloping. This was this man's number one—I uh, don't want to say person. It was his like, it was his right-hand whale all year. Mm-hmm. Like that was his sole focus. Every waking moment, every day. And then when Nemu died, he was like couldn't fathom the thought that he that that relationship was done and that he would ever get it again. Mm. And so it, it, that 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 mental state that he was put into also definitely attributed to kind of the blasé, like, okay, we can capture them, it's no problem. And it was the Pen Cove captures where they get all of the southern residents, I'm pretty sure, into the one area and like a bunch of things went wrong, especially too with that one. Um and, and I think it was then also that he like looked at all of them and was like, there are less than we think. One of one of the moves of the Pen Cove captures, it was the most horrifying it was the most horrifying capture of orcas that I think I, anyone has ever seen, to say the least. But also, too, they had the opportunity to take out far more whales than they did. Mm-hmm. Like, they were, they were looking, and there was a lot of juveniles around, there was a lot of females, and I don't know if it was the little knowledge he had about, or the knowledge that he had about ecology or um, population dynamics, but... He, I, from what I understand, they were reserved in how many they took. Mm. Specifically so that a population could go on, even though at that point in time, too, especially the Pencroft captions in particular, nobody knew the Southern residents existed. Right. Like, there was no conception of, we can tell who Killer Whales are, everybody still thought there was more than 5,000 there, and I, I sincerely believe Ted had a little bit of an instinct in the back of his mind that, like, there are less of them that we think... In, if, if we wanted, I don't know if this was, if we want to capture more later, we should save some to stay in the wild or right. um, wanted to keep the population. I can't speak to that because I haven't talked to him. But um, those that specific uh, occurrence, I would say it. It's changed, at least for him, because I'm pretty sure after that, he, he kind of threw in the towel and was like, I, I can't do this anymore.
1: Mm. That's interesting. I like. I'm remembering that. I can't. I think it maybe was. I'm. Try, I'm. Maybe the documentary about Luna, and I totally could be wrong, but I remember watching a documentary where mm-hmm. there were some men talking about how, like, them realizing that they felt like they had messed up because the way the families followed around the babies, and then there was like screaming from the yeah. whales. I think is how they described it, or just a lot of vocalizations. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also remember reading or seeing that, like, they. There were whales that died that they didn't mean to like catch and they sunk those whales because they didn't want, because now people were coming to love the killer whales. And so if you're killing them in the process of taking them, it doesn't look so good. So
2: yeah, it's even, it's even more bad PR, especially to the Penn Cove captures. And this is a thing too, that I don't think a lot of people truly understand about living in the area of Seattle at the time is like, there were people that were nearby. Mm-hmm. like like there was there was lodges that you could stay at that had like pretty graphic views of everything that was going on so you you had the the public had a pretty front row seat to a lot of the occurrences as well, and everybody was privy to the to hearing the vocalizations and otherwise and the cries um, but definitely the they did i think there was two or three whales that were that were killed and especially two at this time. I'm not entirely sure. I, I can't guarantee this, but if you read the book, like if you read Jason Colby's book at the very least, you'll you'll get a little bit um, more hard information. I'm pretty sure too. Some of the whales that died, there was some people that tried to cut some of the nets. Mm. That like went like got into scuba gear and tried to free the whales, and in doing that, when the whales tried to leave, they got tied up. Oh. Um, which it it like it only brings. Um, oh, yeah, I'm trying to think like. Blank to injury, I forget what the word is. Insult to injury. It only brings insult to injury because in the process of that, it just complicates the situation ever more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not sure exactly about the, uh, not the validity of it, but the proper storyline. I know that happened at some point in time. I'm not entirely sure if it was the Penco captures, but they did. They ended up sinking the whales. And I think there was also like an argument between them, between the captures trying to figure out like what they should do. Like, do we come up to the public with this how do we figure it out and there were a lot of them that were big proponents like no let's let's take them it'll be fine whatever we'll like literally toss it under the carpet um and that didn't work out too well for them in the end right and like i said that that only added more insult to injury at that point
1: yeah absolutely Jeez, i mean that's like it's pretty crazy and i think you know maybe it didn't start out with a motivation for money because I mean I I don't know if Ted Griffin I mean he said that it would bring money to the city but like it sounds like I mean there's a lot of ways to make money um and taking a killer well is a pretty radical way to try to go about that so I feel like there was motivation in trying to build those relationships which is such a weird concept and I you know maybe I have the privilege of saying that because I was born in 1996 and like all of this has already happened and we've already learned and everything. Um, but like, Jesus, like that just seems oh, yeah. like a lot. Well,
2: also too, like before his time, Ted Griffin was insane. Like when we think about people swimming with killer whales at all now, mm-hmm. it's a wild concept, but especially too, like, we, we have seen decades now of people interacting with them in the water we know how they interact with people especially too now that we've done a bunch of research and spent a lot of time with them like at the time that ted griffin jumped into the water with namu they thought they were the most deadly like there was navy guidelines that if you saw a killer whale and you were in the water with it you were yeah. as good as dead like is. there is no question no ifs ands or buts like that is it and this man stared Nimu in the face. I think he he went in on the dare or something like that from his brother. And his brother like went in, and then he, he um, slowly but surely did as well. But building that relationship, like it it was insane, even more then than we even like than we can imagine it now, just because of the like even global perception of of Orca's at the time.
1: Yeah, one of my captains was just telling me about. Um... I think it's a movie like a whale called killer or something like that. I'm probably misquoting it, but some movie that basically came out at the same time as Jaws. And it was like the jaws of
2: orcas. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, I think it was Orca.
1: Yeah. Orca. Right. Something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Or no, it might've been Orca, the whale called killer. There's, there's
1: that's fair. Um, but yeah, he was saying that like people thought that for a while too. And I was under the impression for a long time that there were no accounts of, um, killer whales harming people in the wild. there's, but i came to find out that there was like a surfer who was bitten by a killer whale in california
2: yeah yeah suppose there was one and it was like that it was it was one occurrence and it he got stitched up as yeah. far as i'm cuz like he, he was fine yeah yeah at the end of the day
1: and i've seen killer whales kill plenty of stuff and if that whale wanted him dead <laughs> he would be dead for sure oh
2: not a question. Not a question in the slightest. Yeah. I was say you saw the um the gray whale predation recently too. I
1: did. Yes, I saw the gray whale predation. I've seen them eat porpoises, seals, sea lions. Um, yeah, but that gray crazy. whale predation was something else. I was like that. I I definitely it changed how I see them a little bit. I was I, like, bear. oh my god, you guys really can do some crazy things. That's pretty wild. Um, I mean, Once I knew that the good person.
2: Was well, seeing a person has to be extremely different from documentaries or otherwise, too.
1: Yeah. And there was so much blood in the water. And, like, there were a couple days after. Because these killer whales stuck around for about five days after the kill. Um, and they swam up to our boat a couple times. I got a video. Um, the other naturalist that works for the company got a video of them bringing blubber by the boat. Yeah. So, that's I'm so like, cool. wow, that's really part of a whale right there. You guys did that. <laughs> um so special. Um, but you're eating. But they're eating. And I mean, if you think about it, like w- one big animal to feed, you know, a bigger group of animals as opposed to like of needing course. 10 seals. Maybe it, it is justified in some way. But I definitely will never forget the mother swimming away and just giving up. Because we watched that. We watched them fight. And from we weren't there the whole time. But from what I heard, it lasted about two to two and a half hours. And... Like, I, Dane was with me, and we were like, like, I kept being like, oh, that baby's dead. And then it would come up again. I'd be like, oh, it's dead. And it just kept coming up again. And I was like, oh my God. But Whoa. mom and baby put up like a tremendous fight. So that was impressive. But yeah, then mom just gave up. And yeah, one of my favorite whales, Bumper, he was like, at the end of the predation, he was in between mom and baby. And that was like his job of like, I'm keeping you guys separated. And then. They all kind of jumped on top of it, and then mom swam off. And I was like, uh.
2: Yeah, I, I think I'd need to take... I need to, I, Even now, I'm tearing up. That I'd need to take, like, <laughs> a day or two after that. Because that's... You... Like, no one can imagine, unless you're there. Especially, too, for, like... Too, you don't know how long two and a half hours is, in terms of, like, something fighting for its life. Yeah. Like, like to that extent, it just...
1: I was like that's an intense experience like like oh, uh, properly heart wrenching. Yeah, it definitely it is, but that's also nature too. Of um and luckily like I was prepared like the other naturalist that I work with, he's been there for like 3 years. And he's, you know, prepared me well for a lot of things with warnings. He's like, yeah, no, it's cool to see, but it's really sad. He, he was like, it's going to like, just know that it's not going to be like, it's interesting, but it's not like fun, you know? Um, of course. And I think like hearing him say that a couple of times, I was kind of like more prepared. Cause like when I, at first I was like, oh yeah, sick. That'd be so cool to see. And then like, you know, he's like, yeah, no, it's not for the faint of heart. So it's like, cool. No, no,
2: that's. I I I know a lot of people who they get mad when seals don't don't do well in documentaries. You like you need a certain set of you need a certain uh, mindset walking into that that uh, situation.
1: Yeah, it's hard. Like I mean, but we like humans in general eat meat. Like it's not natural yeah. for all humans to be vegan or vegetarian or whatever. And like there are herbivores and omnivores and carnivores, and that's just how the earth is balanced and that's just part of it. And I think that's like just life is that not everything's going to be like sunshines and, and rainbows and cute orcas. You're going to like, I mean, the orcas are killing babies and you know, the orcas are having babies taken from them like, or they, at least they were um, yeah. in this part of the world during that period of time. Um, so it's just interesting. No, it's well,
2: that's that's the one thing about particularly being, human that i found super interesting this that's such a weird way to put it mm-hmm. but you can relate to both mm-hmm. like like looking at the gray whale and the orca you can you can feel for the gray whale's struggle and appreciate the the power and um social workings of the killer whales that are doing uh what's called like actually doing the uh the foraging like yes being able to see both is a that's that's where we develop also i want to say our moral compasses yeah <laughs> It's like i i understand both situations far too well
1: <laughs> yes definitely i would say so yeah i like it's very interesting working around animals makes me think about being human more than i think any other job would if that makes sense like 100%
0: um
1: and you know i feel like the questions that we were always asked like um like in, Because I majored in psychology and environmental studies and in psychology, like I took a lot of comparative classes because I'm equally interested in animals and people. And that's kind of why I'm drawn to the southern residents is because of the people around them. But also there's like a there's certain be- human behaviors around orcas that that's just a whole nother thing. Oh, it's, it's so thing. fascinating. Yeah. But like one of the questions that we would always ask is like, what makes non-human animals different than humans and like you know people say the use of tools but that's not true because we see like different primates using different tools and there's so many animals that aren't like well studied so for a while I was like maybe it's just kind of like useless destruction and selfishness and things like that but then Mm -hmm. I see orcas go and ruin birds days by like (laughs) eating them they're just like (laughs) play with them to death and they're not going to eat them So I don't know what makes humans and other animals different. I don't know if there is something, you know. And I think also, you know, we're limited just based on what we know. Like, there's a lot of, like, questions out there that we can't answer because, like, the way to study it doesn't exist yet.
2: Definitely, definitely. And this is another thing, too. It's, like, it's, uh, well, one of the things that I've always, or that I've tried to do recently a lot more, too, is, like, it's, like, get to the question like i I try to ask as many like of the right or not the right questions Mm -hmm. like what rather than what's the difference between humans and non-humans it's like how in what ways are we similar Mm -hmm. it's like yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna look blanketed especially to especially all of the animal kingdom there's a lot to us that can be attributed even down to the smallest organisms Mm -hmm. it's like even even something as simple as biological processes. But, and like, one, finding the similarities, and then two, it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to lose the train of thought here. A hundred percent, I'm going to lose the train of thought.
1: Well, here. you were talking about the similarities between humans and animals, and, like, down to a biological level, we're similar in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah. And, well, and the other half, too, is, like, when uh, we like to think of ourselves as so separate
1: mm-hmm.
2: that once you separate us far enough, it's not the same thing anymore.
0: Right? It's like
2: there, there's, I, I've heard a lot of like the, the narrative, one of my favorite parts about my degree itself is like, I, I took, um, or I'm doing a geography or I just completed my geography degree. Um, the thing that basically they try to hammer in, in the first couple of years is like, there's no such thing as civilization and nature. Like there's not a difference. It's like, mm-hmm. you need to understand that everything you do, everything that's around you, the environment is not something to explore, it's something that you're a part of. Right. And, like, even one of the ways that I'm trying to conceptualize it myself is, especially being here in the Pacific Northwest, I've noticed a lot of difference in just the spatial layout of people in general and different um, townships, different, uh, different things that are built, like, different cities that are around – And I'm looking up to North Vancouver. And if you look at even a map of North Vancouver, you'll see a line. Mm -hmm. And at that line, there's no more houses. And it's just like, if you go north, you'll probably hit the North Pole before you hit any settlement Mm -hmm. of any kind. Whereas I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. In Boston, Massachusetts, if you drive for five hours in any direction, you will find suburbs. Like, it's it's just a fact. There are people that live everywhere along that way. If you go north far enough, once you get into New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine, then it starts to get a little bit less populated by humans is what I'm going to call it. But there's a lot of things that happen in, I'll call it that area, like that are the environment working that you are a part of and you Mm -hmm. need to think about. Like when Sandy came in, it's like, like, yeah, we're in a place where hurricanes can happen yeah it's like I mean, it's like it's not like we have a bubble around this it's not like things are great all the time it's like we are we are within a vastly larger system that uh, i, I want to say a lot of people don't really conceptualize when they think about them where they are yeah and then more so when they talk about like i want to get out into nature it's like you're in it you you have an ecosystem around you that you're not completely aware of so to speak
1: yes 100 percent. and i kind of wonder too because you know i think the idea of kind of othering ourselves from nature is more of like a westernized idea and more of like a colonized Mm -hmm. sort of thing at least here in the United States and (laughs) you know I I think it's ultimately more harmful and I feel like and you know I've talked about this on different podcasts too of just like I think that as scientists like we're kind of limited when people you know kind of are like oh don't anthropomorphize well obviously like don't Like, be like, oh my god, they have the same exact feelings that I do because I just think that they do. Like, think critically, but, like, who are we to say that, like, there aren't similarities that are there just because that we can't explain it or because we can't study it or whatever. And I, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think more people need to see, because we are ultimately a part of nature. And I think that, I mean, it seems so silly to live on a planet with, like, and, and not identify with that planet, if that makes sense
2: it does it makes all the sense in the world because pete it's it, thinking about it at if people there, there's a lot of people that i can imagine think about earth as something that they're not a part of yeah intricately intricately yeah it's there, there's a lot of aspects to that and i think you, what you said right there with too is like extremely important because when you talk about anthropomorphizing animals just in general it's like in terms of the scientific community and like trying to develop, like you said, it makes sense to a certain degree. It, mm-hmm. In terms of not anthropomorphizing, we can only um, determine. Thing, we, can, well, here, we can only determine things to be true if we can prove them. It's like there's another side to it, to an extent. And this is the part of I think killer whales and more particularly people's interactions with them that makes me so intrigued there's a difference you and uh, you can tell me if you've had this before there's a difference between when you're talking to somebody mm-hmm. and or like somebody's looking at you and somebody's looking at you like particularly like they're they're they, they see you not for 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 truly so to speak
0: mm-hmm. like
2: they, they see almost every part of you when people yes. talk about looking into the eyes of killer whales or like yeah this is it they feel seen there's a difference yes. between being looked at and being seen
1: yes 100 those are two
2: different ones and everybody that I've talked to that interacts with killer whales um, and even other species, but like with the killer whales in particular, just the, the feeling that I've heard it eliciting, the feeling that it's elicited for me even when I'm in their presence is like feeling seen, which is consistent along a, along a route that is not, not seen among humans. I've mm-hmm. talked to a lot of people. Not everybody has seen me. There are right. some uh, you can tell, but I like the greater majority of the time it's 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 not the same.
1: Yeah, no, that's valid, and I think that that's really interesting, and I and I have heard people say that, and I don't know. I'm trying to think like when I, like I definitely get less excited about killer whales than I used to get because that I see them fairly frequently. Um, of but, like, I, re- like, remember when I first saw a killer whale, like, crying and, like, being so excited. And there have been a couple other encounters where, like, killer whales have gotten super close to me and then I'll, like, start crying. um But, <laughs> or they'll do something really cool. Or, like, even of just course. hearing about, like, the whole super pod back when J35 had, like, the new baby. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. um But... I don't know. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that people just kind of have that connection. Like, I don't think that I felt that whenever I see a killer whale, but like, it's interesting that so many people say that they have. I think now because like, like, I think I've kind of turned my like science brain on in regards to interactions with killer whale people because there's so many like weird nuances and like consistencies and things where I'm like, whoa like killer whale people are something else and like that's a thing that everyone can agree with and like i've heard i've had people tell me that they don't express their love for killer whales because of how killer whale people are and like or they don't like outwardly say like oh killer whales are cool because i don't some people i don't know have you noticed that some people feel like they own the whales like (laughs) some people (laughs) really think they own the whales
2: I have been lucky enough right now, and I'm also, I'm also just scratching the surface in terms of entering, I'll call it, the, the Orca people community. Yeah, um, And it's something that I'm trying to do actively and trying to figure out exactly how to navigate because I, I didn't quite... um I, I haven't quite fully done it yet. But from what I've seen in terms of... Because this is what I said about Tua earlier. It's like there's a spectrum of Orca people Yes. there's a spectrum of what people know what people believe, what, how people interact um, and so one of the things that I think I'm going to have the most I don't know, I, don't, I wouldn't call it fun one of the things that's going to be the most interesting in terms of entering this world is trying to figure out where people are at. because the conversation that we're having now about um, it's like some of the like, not not the problems with the um, orcas, but like the feelings that they can elicit, the, the impact that they can have on people in certain experiences is a lot different than a conversation with somebody about like something extremely scientific or particularly historical or uh, like things like that. Yeah. Um, but I can only imagine too, like there are people both within the industry of naturalists, whatever else might have you, uh, like research properly and just the public who's really, like there's definitely a lot of people in the public court just citizens that really really like this stuff not unlike yeah. myself right now <laughs> but um i i haven't decided to answer your question exactly i haven't seen it yet oh just I, wait. I understand how it could happen
1: you will and i like i came in all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed too of like oh wow the solutions are here and i was very naive and thinking oh we just need to put the pieces of the puzzle together but like it it quickly became obvious at least southern resident wise that like the reason why things aren 't working out is because of personality and ego, I think ultimately um and, and it 's not just whale people it 's you know like all all over the spectrum of anybody who impacts the killer whales um but killer whale people I do find particularly interesting because it 's just like there's like an obsession you know in they're oh, like yeah. on i 'm talking about the far end of the scale and there's like people who will hoard data and like people who like I don't know. It's for as somebody who majors in psychology, I think it's fascinating. And I'm like, what is it about orcas that make people go literally crazy? And maybe it's that what you were talking about where it's like people feel seen by the orca and maybe they don't feel seen in other ways. I have no idea. These are just thoughts That's flying fair. through my head. But
0: Yeah
1: weird I mean I've never like I've seen a decent amount of wildlife and I've never like you know I've seen elephants in the wild and like chameleons and leopards and alligators and I've never Mm -hmm. like I mean it's like I mean when I saw lines that was pretty freaking exciting um but (laughs) um like I don't know like I've not I think I'm just like always excited about them because i'm like in their presence sort of thing i'm like wow this is cool and you're so different and what are you doing like you know yeah that's kind of my take on it but it's
2: for sure i don't know people
1: feel spiritually about orcas i kind of maybe that's a better way to put it
2: definitely and that's the that's the difference too and it's one of the things like perspective wise it's one of the things i'm interested in because i've i've spoken with some researchers that are doing work with killer whales and i see the way that they look at killer whales killer whales are It's like it's something to be studied, something Mm to learn more about. And just the perception that you have of them and what they are to you,
0: Mm -hmm. uh, to
2: any individual person, is going to be crucial in terms of how they interact, talk about or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like I know for me personally, like I have killer whales have given me everything that I've gotten up to this point.
0: Quite
2: like for me, quite literally killer whales are an intrinsic part of my like, I, I don't want to call it personality, because as while that might be true, it's not the sole...
1: It's um, not your only personality trait.
2: It's not my only personality trait, but they are crucial to, m- like, me as a person. Okay. Like, they have driven a lot of my decisions. My love for the Pacific Northwest in this area has come out of killer whales. My imagination and the idea of, like... I I think when I watched Free Willy for the first time, I've been trying to figure this out forever. I'm like, why did I like that movie? Like, what what was it about it that really got to me? And sincerely, I think it was the friendship that Jesse had with Willy, Mm -hmm. which was so pure in such a weird way that I kind of latched on to the idea of that friendship being, like, solidified. It's something that can be reproduced, like, with other people, to for one instance, and it's a it's a way to it's a way to listen and help those around you. And so, like I've I've used killer whales personally as a as a vehicle for a lot of like like I said, personal growth and mm-hmm. like from trying to learning and understanding like people in general. Like when I first learned about Ted Griffin, it was at a point in time where I wasn't very happy with captivity, and, I, and I, that's only grown since. But it allows me to connect with people that much more because I can sit down and think about Ted Griffin when he was 28. Yeah. Looking for this relationship and then actually getting it and then having it be torn apart because of him. Mm -hmm. And then going on the ramp, well not rampant, going on the capture spree and creating the industry. Like being able to, I, I, I personally, when I see killer whales, it's like, I, I see a story of myself, which makes, my perception the way I talk about them the way that I uh even like approach people about them very particular I
1: yeah would say. yeah no that makes sense yeah definitely it like I mean and now that you've got me thinking about it too like animals and, and wildlife in general have just been my driving force always like the it's like it the is. whole reason why my why I am where I am right now and like you know I came from like a rough place and overcame a lot because of like those wild animals. It was never orcas specifically. And yeah. then I encountered orcas, and it's truly the only animal that has been like, oh, let me like revolve my life around this. <laughs> and I don't know if it's the, well, you know, I wonder if I would run in, if I had run into the salmon first, if I would have been like, wow, this is so fascinating. And maybe, yeah. Because like now the salmon are intertwined with this whole situation. But yeah, no, I mean, well, I tried to, like, study lions for a while And it just never worked out And then the killer whale mm-hmm. thing all There there were a bunch of doors open So I was like, alright, let's just walk through them But yeah, no, <laughs> I, I guess I'm not exempt from that group of people That's, like, their life is somehow Like, it. Th- their existence m- influences the decisions that I make in my life
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and that can And, like, the decisions that you make That have nothing to do with them, too I like, guess yeah. one thing is, like, like Don't get me wrong. I came to the University of British Columbia. I have done very little. I've done some work with killer whales. I've done some work around it. But like the the majority of what I've gotten out of my experience here is because of them, but has nothing to do with them.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's valid. That's totally valid. I mean, so I moved to the San Juan Islands. I, I saw whales for the first time in the wild in March of 2019. And I moved there in May. Okay. I was like, I was like, I have to go. Bye. Like, <laughs> I, I've i seen these whales and I need to go be with them and like learn about them and stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that's We're something the, that we'll ever know why people are so drawn to killer whales.
2: I, so this is, this is more of an individual question at the end of the day, too, in my head. Because <laughs> a lot of people will, will attack it in different ways. Because I know... You know, Paul, just just two researchers off the top of my head. Paul Spong and John Ford have two very different approaches to it, mm-hmm. to, to their research that they're doing and the research that they've done, uh, particularly because of the experiences that they've had.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and both of them have contributed so much, especially, like, both of them actually within the um, yeah. within the realm of Orca acoustics. But, like, John Ford started with, I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, um... Dr. Michael Big and Graham Ellis with a lot of the census information that was initially happening. Right. And so like he started with there, whereas Paul Spong got his start as a psychology um, student at the University of British Columbia during graduate school and got to interact with SCADA. And like, if you haven't dove into Paul Spong's history with SCADA, do it like this is to you as Mm -hmm. well as any of the audience members, because it is fascinating. Mm. It is so funny to hear, especially to – no, it's so interesting to hear. I I need to stop using the word funny. Um, it's so interesting to hear mm-hmm. Paul Spong and his initial interactions as a psychologist with yeah. this whale that was, for all intents and purposes, messing with him for a year.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, and so, you, like, even with that, it's, like, it's a very – depending on where anybody is in their life at any given point – that will I can see that determining a lot of the reason why it will have such a big impact What, mm-hmm. I'm, curious, what I'm like why it's so big with everybody that has yes. like properly entered it. Because that's genuine you don't see that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You just you just don't see that. This is true.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. You have to like see why different people get into it. And I just listened to um Brian Jenkins' first podcast, A Cup of Hope, and he interviewed PNW protectors and like and I, they've also been on here before too, but mm-hmm. like both them and Brian in the podcast said that they never expected to be in conservation. Like Brian's an entrepreneur and they're both artists. And then here they are like both working in conservation. And I think that that's the coolest thing too, is to see all the different ways that people can take it. Like I just released an episode a few weeks ago with Olivia and, um, Mm -hmm. she's the high school student who is hand making mugs that have like, you know, the breaching extinction logo on it, kind of like her own little hand drawn version. And, like she's really passionate about mental health and stuff like that, but like that was how she was like, this is like what I can do. And she we're selling the mugs, and then the money's going to Wild Orca. Um, yeah. But it's just interesting to see, like, I don't know. You don't have to be like an animal person, quote unquote. Like,
2: no, no, and you don't you you don't need to know a whole bunch either. Too that's the that's the biggest yeah. thing and the beauty of it is like you can enter in as much as you want to. Yeah. And you can do it like one step at a time. For sure, and that's the, that's the beautiful thing I think about the species in general is like with southern residents you can you can get to a point in time where you like I don't care about anybody but um, Deadhead yeah K K-7. seven K seven is my guy like that's that's what I care about like mm-hmm. I don't need to know about orcas. I I want to make sure he's okay yeah like, you don't you don't need to you don't need to be the biggest conservationist in the world or know a ton about like the species in general like in order to appreciate. Them.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that that's kind of like a a common theme that I've noticed. Like, And it's something that I've repeatedly heard from like certain guests of like, I'm not this, I'm not that, so I'm not the best person to do it. And I'm like, well, you don't have to be. We don't need everyone to be the best person to do it. And then also, who's to say that you're not the best person to do it? Like, anybody can gain that knowledge, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, there's... I don't know. Like, I think the Southern residents, like, the whales themselves are just as fascinating as the people around them.
2: Oh, 100%. 100%. And the stories of the people themselves, too, it's, like, it's insane. One of, As soon as I've gotten to, like, once I got into the history of, like, the captures and the initial censuses and the rest, and the census, too, like, I did a lot, I did my final paper... Um, one of the biggest ones of like my university career, actually, on the census that was done in Canada. Yeah, like all of that research and the people that have even gone from there. Because there's, it's so funny too. Because now I'm starting to really understand. I didn't, I didn't have the idea before. I really needed to, or I really like tried to sol- or solidified my like Orca census capture era, um, like geography of the people itself. Yeah. And then now I'm currently like trying to learn everybody that's on co-extinction, trying to like know everybody that's doing searching for Chinook, PNW protectors, uh, and a lot of the other organizations that like, there's a lot of new blood and they're all, everybody's coming from different areas with different ideas for the pseudo, like the same purpose. Yeah. Too.
1: Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's super interesting to see. Like there's so much, like that's one of the things that like is shocking to me is, is how many people care for these whales. like, how many people will revolve their lives around these whales? Like Brian Jenkins always comes to mind just because like he's, he sells coffee. Like that is his job. Like he sells coffee. And then now he's probably one of the people that I frequently talk to the most about what the heck are we going to do about these whales? And like, we're constantly bouncing ideas off of each other. And it's like, I don't think he or anyone else would ever expect him to be here because of what his background is. And it's just like, it's cool to see, like, all these different people coming into it. But that's, like, the one thing that I don't understand is, like, if if all these people from everywhere who aren't orca people, who aren't animal people, whatever, if we all care so much and are doing so much, why aren't they saved? Like, in theory, because that they are, like, I would say the most charismatic megafauna that there is, you would yeah. think that, like, everyone would bend over backwards to make sure that they're saved. And, like, for me, like, I think... Like, they're symbolic of, like, if we can't save them, then the planet's done, in my head. (laughs)
3: Okay.
1: Like, because if we can't save fucking killer whales, like, cute orcas, what are we, like, why would anyone else, nobody else is going to care about the planet for the planet's sake. Nobody's going to be like, oh my god, this soil is important because of, like, its functions in the ecosystem, how are we gonna get people to care about, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm such a negative person sometimes. Like no. well, But those are just my so you, thoughts.
2: You've you've been running in circles around this stuff for a run out running in circles. You've been you've been like hammering away at this stuff for a long time now. Like every day for a good portion. You said this is the seventy seventh?
1: Seventy first.
2: And I'm like coming up on my
1: two year anniversary. Yeah. And it's Woo-hoo! like it's been I think I didn't expect this to turn into what it turned into. And I've said it like a bunch of times. Um, This was supposed to be 12 episodes. This was (laughs) supposed to be a short project. And there's not a day that I wake up and don't do something Southern Resident related. Whether it's researching, talking to somebody like... You know, I'll, like, I'll try to have a free day. Like, I try to get, like, one day off a week. And it never happens because there's somebody that has a question about a Southern resident. Or I have a question about what somebody else is doing. Or there's some other project going on. But, like, I don't know. It's And it's not like I, you know, it's just, I, like, I can't help it. Like, I have to. And I know, yeah. like, I've talked to other people who that's how they feel, too. That's how Brian feels. There's this girl, yeah. Lindsay, I talked to. And that's how she feels. And, like, everyone is, and I totally get that. It's like... Once you start, you can't stop, you know?
2: Yeah. It's a part of, it's, it becomes a part of your brain almost. Especially too, because this is something that you can get into very, like, it's a rabbit hole that only goes deeper.
1: Yes. And you there's, there's no, would think it yeah. wouldn't because it's such a small, teeny scope of the world. Like, and I've been, like, thinking about that more recently because, like, there's a captain that I'm pretty close with and him and I will chat. And he's like, you need to, like, stop being in such a whale bubble sometimes because, like, <laughs> I get stuck in the whale bubble. And he's like, you realize there's more stuff out there. And I totally do. And I, like, hang out with different people and talk to people from different walks of life because of that. But it's like...
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know. There's so much in this bubble. So much. Yeah,
2: there is. And it's, it's, it's very easy to get swept up because it, like... The way you said it before, too. Like, it's... It's exciting in the beginning it's like it's a rabbit hole that like you want to go down you're interested in and then you begin to care and then you begin to like feel a little bit responsible mm-hmm. so it's like it's that that it's it's hard to disrupt that train
1: 100 so percent. yeah i don't know interesting interesting world we live in in the killer whale world for sure um well we are running out of time do you have any final thoughts for people also, where can people go and find all of your Orcaman stuff?
2: Definitely. Um, thank you, by the way. Uh, the mm-hmm. Orkaman is the name of everything. I have my own podcast that I'm starting out. I'm only on episode three. I pray that I make it to 71, much like yourself. <laughs> um, there is, I do TikTok, uh, decent TikTok following right now. That's, I believe, The Orcaman. Um the Facebook page is an unofficial Orcaman, Twitter is some semblance. If you go to any one of my pages, um there's also a beacons where you can connect to everything. If you want to just talk about whales, I know I have my Discord where there's a bunch of people adopting orcas right now and get very excited about that. So if cool. you want to join that hype, uh we're more than free. But that's that's where you can find me. In terms of people going and learning about orcas or getting into it, mm-hmm. find a small reason or like think about the reason why you're interested and take one step. Uh, Learn yes. a whale's name. Learn uh, learn a little bit more about a researcher. Because when you listen to these stories, read these stories, whether or not you keep with them, whether or not it's for uh, 30 minutes of your whole life, uh, these story, the stories that are around orcas are, are pretty phenomenal. And mm-hmm. you, might, you might take something away from it.
1: So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that that's – and there's so many different angles that you could look at it from.
2: A hundred percent.
1: So yeah, that's really important. Well, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Of course. Awesome. Well, goodbye everybody and hope you guys have an awesome week. Have a good one.